Hey, Ben, have you heard the good news? Uh, I wish I had a factoid about Callista Flockhart, because the name Callista Flockhart popped into my head, and Callista Flockhart is fun to say. Okay, well, um, I think Callista Flockhart is uh, sort of blonde. And... Am I even saying the name right? Yes. Okay, that's good. Uh, you know what else is blonde? Hundreds of golden retrievers partied it up in Scotland. Oh boy, drunk dogs. It's good news with Ben and Sarah. It's good news every night and day. If you got good news, send it to us. Now here's good news for everyone. Sure. Drunk Scottish angry dogs. Sure. Hello and welcome to another episode of Good News with Ben and Sarah. I'm Sarah. <laughs> Is it culturally insensitive to assume that Scottish people are just drunk and angry? That's Ben. And yes, because if you're going to go with stereotypes, that's an Irish stereotype. I think it's both. Maybe. You know what we should do? When I graduate from grad school, we should go to Scotland and uh, enrich ourselves and the culture, and you should stop being so... Awesome. Okay. Um, I'm Scottish. Partly, yes, you are. Somewhere in that line. If you didn't know, Ben is a redhead and is uh, distantly related to William Wallace from Braveheart. That's what everybody who has the last name Wallace claims. <laughs> We all claim that. But you're 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 redheaded, so I believe it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, believe it or not, this is a podcast where we talk about good news, not weird Scottish stereotypes. I or... think finding out you're related to William Wallace is pretty good news. I guess. Yeah, I've never seen Braveheart, so although I don't know, I, don't know. I hate Mel Gibson now. So you know. <laughs> you've never seen Braveheart. I've never seen Braveheart. That was my first uh, movie boob. Oh, what? <laughs> it's not an appropriate place to talk about that. Why? The human body's beautiful. Anyway. Uh, yes, this is a podcast. That was, that was my first movie, Bepis. <laughs> I don't know if I should lay this in or not. <clears throat> it's fine, moving on. This is a podcast where I talk about all the nice... Um, feel Be- good good news stories what's not nice about Beppis? you know someone's gonna have to urban dictionary the word Beppis. you know in the future we're gonna become really popular and somebody's gonna stumble upon this ancient episode and go what i thought this was pg rated anyway <clears throat> this is pg a needs parental guidance podcast in which we talk about all the nice news stories that happened. The movie North is rated PG and has the S word as well as the oh C God, word and the it H does. word in it. Yeah. Uh, so. The movie North has way worse things than yeah, that. Yeah, it's in also it too. not a good movie. It's horribly racist. Yeah. Why did we get to see that as kids in the 90s? Anyway, um, one last time. That's my standard, by the way, is the movie North. Anytime anybody says you can't get away with that in a PG movie, I just direct them to North. Oh, yeah. Good point. That's the bar. What a terrible movie that was. Yeah. One last time. This is a podcast where I look at, in this case, the last month of stories that don't involve cats. 
uh, that are good news. And I say, hey, the world needs to know that this is also happening. Because <laughs> right, everything involved cats last night. Yes, it did, because it was episode 50. And that's how I celebrated, with cat news stories and Gal Gadot. Um, and I say, you know what? There's a lot of garbage happening out there in the world. But this is happening, too. And you didn't. You need to know about it. And you need to know about our headliners. This is the part of the podcast where I tell you about the big-ticket news stories that you should be aware of. And these are all environmental stories, but they're very good. To start off... How um, much did you sit at your desk chuckling to yourself, so proud of yourself, when you made that Gal Gadot joke? A lot. Okay. <laughs> In the state of California, greenhouse gas pollution has fallen below 1990 levels for the first time since the pollution peaked in 2004. Cool. This is equivalent to saving 6 billion gallons of gas a year. Okay. Yes. That's good. Governor Ed Brown Jr. attributes this to the state's tough emission standards, which were put in place to meet this goal by 2020. So they met it two years early. Oh, that's California cool. has an annual emissions inventory that keeps the local <clears throat> government accountable for meeting reduction goals, and the data shows emissions have dropped 13% across the entire state since 2004, while the state's economy grew by 26%. California now produces twice as many goods and services for the same amount of greenhouse gas emissions as the rest of the country. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a big deal and something really worth celebrating. Yeah, I've always been kind of surprised. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it because, like, car stuff. I know, but you I've love always, your cars. I've always been really surprised that more people haven't had stricter emission standards. Like, California is the only state when people talk about emissions testing. Mm-hmm. That it, that it comes up on. Um, it might be the only state that does those emissions tests. There, I think, well, I think there's others that do emissions tests, but they hold it to a much laxer standard. Mm-hmm. California has always been the strictest to the point where even in the 70s, I think 70s, definitely the 80s. Because um, if you start looking into like classic cars, yeah, there are California versions of cars because they had to modify the emissions just for the cars sold in California. Now, if you bought it in another state, you could register it in California after the fact, like you could be grandfathered in, Mm -hmm. but you could not buy a car during certain time periods that did not meet California specific emission standards. Um, yeah. And now I think most cars all kind of meet the same emission standards, so it's not a big deal. However, it, because California does emissions testing and has holds to that standard, if you were to... Um, first of all, there's probably some like high-output vehicles, like super sports cars, that you can't purchase in California. I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to modify a vehicle, it would no longer be street legal in California because it wouldn't pass emission standards. So because of those regulations, like the modding and tuning community uh, hurts in California, which is ironic because that's like, at least if T- if you believe anything TV says, like every TV show about like muscle car. Sorry, go ahead. 
Thanks for playing the opening to the last podcast yeah. on the left. <clears throat> we all know what Sarah listens to now. Um, Sorry. Um, but like, yeah, every freaking TV show that's about classic cars and rebuilding cars and pimp my ride and every single one of those is based in california so it's kind of weird that they have a huge tuner scene yeah and yet have like the strictest emission standards so maybe that should just be proof that like meeting these standards doesn't mean you can't have fun with your cars exactly and i also feel like california is the butt of a lot of jokes when it comes to regulations like how a lot of things will say, like, this has been shown to cause cancer in the state of California. Yeah. Like, if you see that on something, maybe you should look up why that is instead of mocking California. But as somebody who grew up an hour away from Los Angeles, let me say... Does my seltzer say... No, it doesn't. Has I been shown to cause cancer in no, the state of I California. No, I looked. <laughs> um, as somebody who grew up an hour away from Los Angeles, let me tell you, these regulations were necessary. I grew up in Bakersfield. We used to be called the toilet of Los Angeles because all the smog would blow away from L.A. and settle into the basin that is Bakersfield. And it was miserable to live in. So if it's getting better, I don't care what it took. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's reasonable. Yeah. So good for them. And now let's go a little bit more international in Europe. A Dutch organization is taking piles of plastic garbage out of the Maas River in Rotterdam and turning it into floating islands. For the last year and a half, the Recycled Island Foundation has been setting litter traps in strategic locations on the river, sorting what it collects, and recycling those materials into floating hexagonal platforms that are being filled with native plant species. So are the platforms then covered in dirt or is the there are little planters all over it from what i could tell from the pictures i don't know if that was only initial planting or if they changed it but from what i can tell it's several planters on top of these hexagons with plants in them yes and to what end these will act as shelter and breeding grounds for small local animals microorganisms and fish The first recycled park just opened earlier this month. It's 1,500 square feet made up of 28 hexagons, and they are working on making even more. So they make these giant hexagons out of the recycled plastic they took out of the river, and they are making floating gardens out of them to act as parks. Okay. Yes. So the local wildlife can, can utilize it, and it just gets the trash out of the river. I guess... I guess the point is that they're real. We're realizing more and more that, like, hey, this plastic is never going to break down in a landfill. Yes. So we need to use it. Which I appreciate because that's true. And if we recycle and use it for these really good green initiatives for helping the wildlife and also more plants means more carbon dioxide broken down, that's wonderful. Okay. No. So that that's that makes sense. Okay. I'm just like. <clears throat> the concept of taking the trash out of the river and then just keeping it in the river feels weird, but yeah, if you've come to the, if we've all kind of come to the conclusion that like, hey, this trap, there's so much plastic waste and it's not super usable. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is kind of why I'm wondering. I mean, I'm not a chemist, so I don't know 
how viable most recycled plastic is. Yeah. But I'm wondering how long it's going to take for... Because I feel like 3D printers, a lot of what you can make with them just uses recycled plastic. Like, you don't need fresh virgin plastic Mm -hmm. for that. And I'm kind of wondering how long until that's finally going to catch on to where it's like, you know, like... um, local motors is trying to make 3d printed cars and it's more or less using that same plastic and there's there's a lot of like large items that just having building it out of a giant chunk of of garbage plastic is like completely reasonable and viable heck i'm pretty sure a lot of what goes into if you were to make a modern house you could use it for that this goes back to 2015 Yes, 3D printers are making a huge move to using recycled plastic. Yeah. Not fresh plastic. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I figured, but the the trick is it's got to move from the day, DIYer to, like, a corporation that says, okay, we're building this laptop, and yeah, it's not as slim as and streamlined as a lot of laptops are, but guess what? It's 3D printed out of 100% recycled plastic, which is kind of where we need to start going. Mm-hmm. Like, people need to get over certain, like, yeah, we've been through this era where everything is thin and sleek and awesome, and it's cool, but we might as well start using the resources that we have available to us. Like, it just makes more sense. The slim, cool, cyber, techno future aesthetic of that, of, of what we've had since, like, 2004 is cool and all, but I'm excited to see... A pop future <laughs> sci-fi aesthetic of 3D print, 3D printed <clears throat> thick laptops and accessories. Yes, in neon colors. Let's make it happen, y'all. Let's do this. Let's get this aesthetic going. Let's have a poppier, happier version of the future. Let's start it with our plastic. It's all recycled and in neon colors. <laughs> Who's with me? You're with me, right? Yeah. 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 Except my cell phone. Except. <laughs> I'm just saying that's the one thing that I need to be small because it has to fit in a pocket. Yeah, I'll give you this much. When you get a cell phone, you hang on to it for a long time compared yeah, to other people. Yeah, so I, that's fine. I make my cell phones last a minimum of three years. At least. All right. And one more huge story about environmental gains. A large number of krill fisheries have agreed to end fishing of the incredibly important krill in the Antarctic Peninsula. The noble krill. Yes, actually. (laughs) Krill are a vital component of their ecosystems being at the bottom of their food chains and feeding on the algae at the top of the ocean. Algae produce... Then the algae's at the bottom of the food chain. That's how food chains Listen. Really, the sun is at the bottom of all food chains. Oh, my God. But, yeah, anyway. Anyway, algae <laughs> produce a great deal of greenhouse gases, and it's estimated that krill prevent about 35 million cars worth of carbon dioxide every year just by eating the algae. Wait. Yeah. The algae... Produces carbon dioxide. Oh, it produces carbon dioxide. So when the krill eat it all... <clears throat> right. They're preventing that. They don't know it, but Wait, they're is doing algae, it. Wait, is algae not a plant? I mean, it is. Plants but I, produce oxygen. Yeah, but I've 
I've heard this these, a lot. Are these algae or phytoplankton? Because I think phytoplankton is the one that's an animal plankton. The article like said plant, algae. I want to say there's plant plankton and animal plankton. I, mean, I might be making that up. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> phytoplankton are the plant ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they are algae. I'm a little confused, <clears throat> but... Uh, I'm going to go with what the article was saying because it was cited by scientists, so I'm going to assume they know more than I do. Well, so there's <clears throat> dinoflagellates and diatoms, which I think is where I'm thinking of one is more plant-like and one is more animal-like. Because mm-hmm. dinoflagellates actually swim versus diatoms just drift around. Yeah. No, release uh, molecular oxygen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying too. I'm saying I'm saying <coughs> that algae they break down carbon dioxide, so now I'm wondering what this article was on about. Quote the article directly. Let like, me find like, it. Double check your notes. Krill help in the fight against climate change by feeding on the algae that produce greenhouse gases near the ocean's surface. But when I Google algae greenhouse gases it keeps bringing up that algae consumes carbon dioxide and releases oxygen like any other plant um and this is on oh, zooplankton are the animal ones that i was thinking of mm-hmm. now i did briefly i saw something that said algae blooms can release toxic gases that like affect fish and other other marine life but it didn't get into a lot of detail. Okay, this is even more confusing because I went... Okay, I got this from goodnewsnetwork.com, which I use a lot as my primary source. They got their story from the BBC. The BBC says, Krill also helped to offset the effects of climate change, removing the greenhouse gas carbon dioxide from the atmosphere through their consumption of carbon-rich algae near the surface. So, so I mean, that's the equivalent of saying humans eating plants removes carbon from the atmosphere, but yes. at the end of the day, we then breathe out carbon dioxide, so it doesn't. And krill, ultimately, if they are an animal that is using oxygen... Yeah. Like, from the water, which, like, fish do that, too. I'm pretty sure fish still in some capacity excrete carbon or carbon dioxide now i don't know enough about marine life because i've actually never looked into the respiratory effects of marine animals i know i know fish absorb oxygen through their lung or through their gills mm-hmm. and i would assume krill do something similar so maybe they don't exhale and their bodies actually excrete the carbon yeah. Which, if they are eating the plankton, which has absorbed the carbon from the air, it's a, it's such a stretch to say this. Because, like, <clears throat> one way or another, the carbon's contained. Yeah. Right? So, like, if a tree absorbs carbon from the carbon dioxide from the air and produces oxygen, the tree now contains the carbon. Yeah. And the carbon is contained more or less indefinitely... Until that tree is burned or, or uh, rots and decomposes. That, that 
that carbon is contained. So if you have plankton, same process, pulling the carbon dioxide from the air, the carbon is now contained in the pla- in the plankton. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a physical form. It's out of the atmosphere, and it is in the ocean. It's there until the plankton dies and decomposes, I guess, and probably forms a gas and, and releases it back into the atmosphere. Alternatively, if the krill eat the plankton, unless there's some process where the krill process that carbon and, you know, poop it out, basically. Yeah. And then it sinks to the bottom of the ocean, maybe... Or the krill get eaten by other animals, and then they also do that. And I mean, there's definitely a big cycle going on. And at the end of the day, you know, concert. Well, not that's conservation of energy. Like you can't create or de- destroy matter. Mm-hmm. So, for the most part, the amount of carbon on the planet is constant. Yeah, it's just either. In, in a form of being in a in a physical being or like a plant or an animal or it's in the air so if the goal I guess the goal is getting back to that balance where more stuff is alive to mm-hmm. then contain said carbon so that it's not in the atmosphere if the, if that's the stretch they're going for, which is, I guess it's not a stretch, but it's it's a lot of steps, and I feel like they're very simplifying it in a statement. Yeah. That that obviously it sounds like <clears throat> the initial report had a simplified statement that was technically correct, and somebody took that simplified statement and made it into a statement that is not technically correct yeah. because they oversimplified it. Okay. So, I I did a quick Google, and on climatecentral.org, they say, Algae occur naturally in most bodies of fresh water and salt water. It's normally fairly harmless, but the right combination of warm water, high nutrient levels, and adequate sunlight combined can cause a harmful algae bloom. These blooms can damage aquatic ecosystems by blocking sunlight and depleting oxygen that other organisms need to survive. Um, some algae, like red algae and blue-green, can produce toxins that damage the human nervous system and the liver, and they also smell. Okay, so so I would say it's way more adequate to say that krill keep the algae population in check so they're not starving oxygen from the rest of the marine ecosystem. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Well, no, it's fine. It's This is why we go through this. Yes. Like... Because, yeah, also it, it's funny that even that article, that one article, I think, started to say that um, the krill consumes carbon dioxide from the algae. Because yeah. that's also not how that works. Yeah. When you, you, when the algae or any plant absorbs carbon dioxide, they release the oxygen. So they don't contain carbon dioxide. They contain carbon yes they they are breaking it down whereas mammals and animals we absorb oxygen and are releasing excess carbon basically waste from the food and other things that we eat yeah and you know obviously some of that carbon gets contained in our in our body but that's yeah yeah it takes it takes two oxygen balloons to float one mo- molecule of carbon away. Yeah. 
Actually, I never thought about it that way, but that is pretty much a good way to explain it. Mm-hmm. You have, you have a, like, it's like a little grain of, of carbon sand, and you need two balloons of oxygen to carry it away. That's a good way two, to remember it. Two oxygen uh, sparrows carrying a carbon coconut. <laughs> tethered between them okay anyway no one is ever going to forget that now congratulations high school chemistry students right um okay regardless krill are important for the marine ecosystem i won't detract from that the association of i love krill they're like tiny shrimp yes they are uh and sea monkeys and um humpback whales eat them and i love humpback whales the association of responsible krill harvesting have agreed to not only stop fishing in the area in a bid to save the struggling environment they've also agreed to establish no fishing zones around the continent what are they even harvesting krill for i'm glad you asked krill are very high in omega-3 fatty acids and they're used in those supplements cool yeah um, so if quit going to GNC, if you all the other if you are trying to up your if you're trying to up your intake of omega three fatty acids, there are more sustainable ways of doing it than taking supplements made from krill or from GNC because supplements are not um, regulated by the FDA and you don't know what you're actually getting in those. Yeah. Anyway, off my soapbox. Um, I am not Dr. McElroy. Okay. Um, yeah, they've, they're establishing no fishing zones around the continent, and the association has dedicated itself to proving that no fish zones and sustainable fishing can coexist. I love this. This is not the first time I've reported on stories about a fishing organization mm-hmm. dedicating itself to stop overfishing. Yeah. It, it's very much a long view, and I feel like we have lost... We have lost that quite yeah. a bit recently, and we need to have economic long views again. Yeah. Because if we destroy the resources we're utilizing, then what are we even doing? Exactly. Yes. And with all of that science <clears throat> talk about chemistry and such, now we're going to go to the actual science section. <laughs> this is study hall. This is where I talk about all the cool stuff in science and technology and scientific studies that you should be aware of. And to start off, in New Zealand, a trial study on workplace productivity has released its conclusions, and I think we're all going to love this. A four-day work week is better for everybody. And I mean everybody. Duh. The trial... <laughs> 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 the trial was held at a company that manages trusts and estate planning, and it entailed having employees work four eight-hour days while still being paid for five eight-hour days. Qualitative and quantitative data were collected before and after the trial to see whether the stress, work-life balance, and time management of their employees was improved. 78% of employees felt that they successfully managed their work-life balance, which was up from 54%. Stress was reduced, commitment and stimulation was increased, and the life satisfaction uh, also increased. One researcher attributes the fact that employees were included in the planning of the trial as one major reason for the increased work motivation. Uh, hmm. So they, they How long did they do the trial for? You know what? It didn't say. Huh. But I have to imagine minimum a month. Probably much longer for I a decent like trial. I would like to hope you did that for a year. Any scientific study worth its salt should have done at least six months. <coughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, it didn't say in the article, and boo on me for not, like, following up on that. But yeah, this has been making the pop science rounds anyway, and I thought I should expand on that. The employees of the company were involved in deciding how work time would be uh, spread out from this. And uh, to, ma to make sure that their work-life balance would, uh, would be less stressful because they wouldn't be thinking about all the work they had to get done. Right. Um, the new means of balancing the workflow was designed by the employees, which included automating certain processes and eliminating unnecessary ones. The chair of New Zealand's workplace relations minister has encouraged other businesses to try out the program themselves. I think that's a big one. There's a lot of stuff that you just, you, you do to take up time. And if you don't need to fill that time, you don't need to do it. And I, I think there's a lot of stuff because we're so used to a 40 hour work week that we do because of that. And we need to fix that. I'm gonna, that's like really hard from my perspective to say, cause I don't have that I know. problem. I know. I'm like, a, I'm an office I need, worker. I need sixty hours of work. I'm or, an, I'm or a, I need sixty hours to get the amount of work I have done every yes. week. Yes, this is different because I'm an office worker who does a lot of like Microsoft Excel work. Right. So I have a lot of busy work. <clears throat> ben, on the other hand, he has a lot of hands-on work with fixing equipment. That is a much different workload. Yeah. So yeah, the, this trial was done in a, in an office setting where you just have clients and you have work in front of a computer. Obviously, this is going to differ between retail and food service and like Ben does hands-on mechanical work. Um mm. and I really hope that this is something that can be extended to all modes of labor, not just desk work like I do. Yeah, I mean, there's no, it 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 takes a balance. Like obviously, every every job is different, and you need to assess it and figure it out. I mean, we've like in my shop, we if we were managed correctly, we've all kind of a, a determined this. If if our shop was managed correctly, and if um, if the work was distributed <clears throat> if someone was micromanaging which is like almost blasphemous to say this yeah <laughs> if someone was actually looking at all the work that was coming in and distributing it it appropriately and evenly we should all be able in our shop to work um four days a week now, maybe we do four tens, or maybe we do four nines, or maybe we do four eights. That's still hard to sell, say. And just stagger, you know, some people work, you know, these four days, and other people work these four days, so that we still have... the Because it's a hospital, so at the end of it... I mean, honestly, the fact that we are doing still doing... To me, doing weekends on call is antiquated. You should just either rotate shifts the way the nursing staff do yeah or just say okay who doesn't care about saturdays yeah work four days a week and one of your days is saturday okay who doesn't care about sundays you work four days a week and one of the days you work is the sunday like it, it's not that complicated and we could figure it out but 
so so much of it at least in my shop's case and i'm sure plenty of people have this problem is that the people who are the hardest workers uh get not only do they do the most work just by their own hand because they are people who are compulsively unable to do a bad job Mm -hmm. like they they compulsively need like they see a problem they need to fix it those are also the people that are considered reliable and therefore are assigned the most work. So they are given significantly more to do on top of what they would already put upon themselves. So you have disproportionate amount. So like, I know there's several people in my shop that could, if you said, Hey, you have the same amount of work figure out a way to get it done in 30 uh 32 hours instead of 40 they'd f- and it means you'll get an extra day off every week they'd get it done easily and be out of there whereas if you said that to me i'd look at you like you were crazy mm-hmm. because i struggle to get the workload that i have done now and thankfully it's not even me exaggerating because we have tracking systems, and I am constantly at the... When we look at number of labor hours uh, put into our work orders every month, I am constantly at one of the people at the top of it. So I now have validation and justification that it's not just that I'm slow. It's that, like, oh, look, I have the most work orders. Oh, look, I have the most hours on my work orders. Yeah. It's not like I have very few work orders with a ton of hours assigned to them. So... When you look at stuff like that, it's a little harder. I- I'm glad for this study, and I mm-hmm. hope they keep figuring it out. Um, but it's definitely not a, a catch-all. It's not. It definitely isn't. Just it, like any study, it's not going to apply to everybody. Yeah. I, I think the healthcare industry... Co- places like hospitals that are a 24-7 establishment really need an overhaul when it comes to how their work workers are are scheduled from the admins to the support staff to the clinical staff i mean it's such a different world from it what, is. what we're used to in in any other industry um and that's i don't know i know that's me getting very specific but it is something i think a lot of people don't think about yeah um even within our industry it's like Nursing and clinical staff, their scheduling, everything about how they're treated is so different. They're considered full-time workers despite only having to work three days a week. Like, they might do three twelves, mm-hmm. and they're still considered full-time. Whereas if I did that, I would be dropped off a of full-time status and just, like, crazy stuff like that. And they can work three twelves and make comparable pay to what I make and still keep their full-time status so they still get their benefits. Or they'll have weird stuff so where most weeks a nurse can work three twelves and then she has to do like a one weekend a month. So over the course of a month, maybe she's getting a full, like she works, he or she works 40 hours a week, but it's condensed differently. Mm-hmm. And I don't get that option. And yeah. most most other staff in a healthcare system don't get that option. So it's it's very interesting. Yes. And I'm going on a huge tangent. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <clears throat> That's not good news. No, but it, whenever I report on these good news, I feel like those those angles need to be tempered. They need to be brought up. Because yeah. it, it 
it's not a catch-all good news. It, yeah. It's something that always applies to a specific amount of people, and that's important to bring up. Well, and those people, as far as like just working society, those people probably make up a huge majority, like office administrative office workers and stuff. I mean, there, there's I would have to imagine between them and like blue collar workers, that's probably the vast majority of the workforce. Possibly, but I feel like that there's something to be said about maybe having these studies in places like retail and food service. Oh, absolutely. Where people absolutely need a break. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And moving on to our next study hall item. It's been a while since we've gotten one of these stories, Ben. We have yet another new dinosaur is it in China? It's in China. <laughs> They're always in China. The Lingmu Long Shangqi was gigantic. Wow, you got wow, you didn't even struggle with that. Thank name. you. I'm gonna struggle later. Uh, had a long neck, though not nearly as long as Brontosaurus, and had sharp spikes protruding on its back. Ten partial skeletons were used to identify the new species, which dates back 174 million years, making it the oldest known. Neosauropod. Pretty sure I nailed that one. In fact, this dinosaur's existence is kind of sending paleo. The oldest new sauropod. <laughs> okay. That's you're, what that means. You're not wrong. It's kind of sending paleontologists into a spin as its existence before Pangaea split challenges existing theories for dinosaurs' evolution timeline. Oh? Yes. Uh... These guys weren't supposed to start evolving until after Pangaea split. But if these guys are a neosauropod, which it looks like they are, then they existed before. Huh. Much older. As for the name, Lingwu is the region where it was found, Long is Mandarin for dragon, and Shenkui is Mandarin for amazing. So, <laughs> amazing dragon of Lingwu. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and he's pretty cool looking. So, look up that dragon boy and now we're going to local fluff this is where i get to all of the uh local news the animal news celebrity news all the stuff that isn't necessarily important to know about but i think you should still know and this is as local as we can get here in virginia a new program has just launched that will distribute beekeeping equipment to eligible beekeepers for free. Huh. Registered beekeepers can receive up to three beehive units a year until the agricultural department runs out. This program is aimed at promoting beekeeping as an occupation and helping maintain Virginia's agricultural industry. So yes, if you are a, already a beekeeper or looking to become a beekeeper, the Department of Agriculture here in Virginia wants to help you. Are they providing the bees? Like, is that what comes See? with the unit? I don't know. And I went to the official state website that talked about the program. Yeah. And it said beehive units. Now, I'm sure if you're an official regulated beekeeper, you know what that means. I mean, I would think it's a bee box. A bee box, yes. Does it come with bees? I don't know. Where Pro do I get the bees? Where do the bees come from? Who knows? They just show up, maybe? 
mean, I have to imagine putting out a bee box. Maybe there's a way to attract the bees to the bee box, but I would think, because, like, how do you guarantee a queen's going to take up nests there? So Yeah. My dad tried to be a beekeeper for a hot minute, and he said his mistake was getting Italian bees because they're very mean. And I'm like, okay, dad. That sounds racist, that but sounds okay. That sounds racist, but okay. So he that's, gave up on that and just raised goats. Anyway. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, why would he get... Why would he do that? I would think you'd just get, like, basic American honeybees. I'm guessing my dad got mail-order bees. From Italy. Maybe. I don't know what happens in Texas. Right. Maybe he just, like, only started it because he met someone who had some bees. I mean, that was probably also what happened. That's how farming stuff works. Yes. Anyway, hey, I've got some extra blank. Do you want to start growing Here's some bees. Do you want more bees? Yeah, I'll take some bees. Oh, the bees are attacking my my wife. Maybe I don't want bees. (laughs) Apparently Italian bees are more... Violet? Moving on. I had to report on this story for reasons that will quickly become apparent for many listeners. Something with cats. No. (laughs) For once, no. In West Virginia, one city decided to implement a holistic, compassion-based system to curb their endemic drug overdose problem. Is it Huntington? The city of Huntington (laughs) formed... The Quick Response Team, a group composed of first responders and mental health professionals who visit an overdose survivor within 72 hours of their overdose. These visits have shown that when prominent members of the community express concern for the victims, they are more likely to seek long-term assistance. Huntington's results have shown such a dramatic turnaround in overdose cases that the entire state has decided to implement a four-year program based on it. Oh, that's cool. That's wonderful for Huntington. Good for them. Yeah. Anything that helps curtail the opioid epidemic, it's such a big deal. Is Clint McElroy involved? Maybe. It's such a big (laughs) deal in public health right now. It's pretty much taking over any other conversation is what are we doing about this? Yeah. That anything that shows promise is wonderful and this is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Huntington. And our top story for this week. Last week, hundreds of golden retriever dogs from all over the world gathered in Tomic, Scotland to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the breed. The party was... Really? Yeah. The... Golden Retrievers are only 150 years old? Keep in mind, most dogs, most dog breeds that we know today started in the Victorian era, when dog breeding became a big deal. Huh. Yep. The party was hosted by the Golden Retriever Club of Scotland, where the first Goldie was bred. (sighs) Boy, this is great. Dudley Majorie Banks, also known as Lord Tweedmouth doesn't matter which name you use it's amazing crossed a wavy coated retriever with a tweed water spaniel his purpose was to breed a dog that could swim really long distances i swear our neighbor's golden retriever's name is dudley and if she named him that because she (gasps) knew the creator of golden retrievers is named dudley i'm gonna lose it oh my god no the golden retriever next door is named dudley i thought it was a harry potter reference because what else is there 
Dudley? Dudley is Harry's cousin who's a jerk. Why did I think his name was something else? No, but Dudley the Golden Retriever is the sweetest dog in the world. Yeah. Oh my god, now we have to ask them. Did you name your dog after the founder of the dog's breed? And did yeah. Dudley go to Scotland recently? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so he was trying to get a dog that could swim really far. And what he got was the origin of one of the sweetest, gentlest dog breeds out there. To quote one human who attended the festivities, we tried to pet and cuddle all 361 Goldens and it was heaven. <laughs> Can you imagine being at a Golden Retriever party? The pictures <laughs> are amazing. Everyone, I implore you, go look Go look up Golden Retriever Anniversary Party Scotland. You will not be disappointed. The pictures are amazing. Just a lot of yellow dogs. Oh my god, they're so wonderful. Golden Retrievers are so sweet. I love them. No, they're very good. Our dogs. neighbor Goldie is so patient with Tucker. Yeah. I love him so much. He's very kind. Yes. And finally, this is the Vintage Report. This is where I find an old, old newspaper, and I tell you all the interesting stuff that I found in it. And I am exasperated because I'm remembering now just how ridiculous this version of the Vintage Report is going to be. This is the Expositor from Wisconsin, and this was published in 1876. And I picked this particular issue for one singular reason. The very first article is titled Local Notes. And the first sentence under that is, quote, we are not dead. Okay. I tried to look up if there was any sort of historical context for this, and I found nothing. Also, right under that, the haying is complete, and don't forget to check on your potato bugs. The haying? Haying. As in hay. Okay. Farm hay. But no, seriously, this is such a weird and unsettling paper because it feels like all the other small town local newspapers I find, but this section, which takes up half the page, is just a bullet point list of things unattributed to anyone. It's not articles. It's not opinion pieces it's just a bunch of little bullet points and um sometimes they ask questions like when will schools reopen this year and other times it says things like if he had a grain of human pride left in him he would drown himself or perish in the attempt who i don't know what i don't know there's no context it just says that I guess you're supposed to know because this town is so small. We all know who should try this is and drown the themselves. Equivalent of like twittering an anonymous. It's it's vague tweeting. Yes, in a newspaper on the front page. Yeah. Uh, quote: Candidates for office begin to grasp the horny hand of the sturdy farmer. <laughs> Words meant different things back then. Yeah. And now that you're getting a copy of this paper, tell your neighbor to pay his 50 cents. What? I can appreciate that the ads are all uh, relegated to one single column on the side of the paper, and that column is labeled 
Ordinary advertisements. Ordinary. For once. They're not interspersed with all the other articles making you think that it's actually telling you news. It says these are advertisements. That's nice of them. It continues to get weird. On the next page, we have a very lengthy article about the decay and conservation of wood. It's very long and very wordy and dry, and it sticks out in this newspaper because nothing else in this newspaper is like this. (laughs) To a point. Anyway, on the next page, there's a very weird fictional story about marriage, but following that is another huge, wordy, scientific-sounding article about the really tall cedars that you can find in Lebanon. In Lebanon. In Lebanon. And on the next page is an article about the properties of rosewood. There's a lot of wood in this issue. Yes. Uh, There's a small piece titled Minute Animals. Uh, This is what it says. When Lieutenant Boryman was sounding the Atlantic, preparatory to laying the ocean cable, the quill at the end of the sounding line brought up mud, which, upon being dried, became a powder so fine that on rubbing it between the thumb and finger, it disappeared into the crevices of the skin. On placing this dust under the microscope, it was discovered to consist of millions of shells, each of which had a living animal. So this is like them figuring out that there are microscopic animals in the sea. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, but, but this in the context of the rest of the paper sounds like a horror show. (laughs) In the patent medicine section, the text is really distorted from the scan and it's hard to read, but right under an ad for magnetic miracle soap, is an ad for Reedy's celebrated Golden Tongue Parlor Organs. And I really wish I could have read any of the three paragraphs worth of whatever is under that headline because I want to know what organs Reedy is selling. I can't tell. You didn't Google it? I was afraid. Hold what on. Is, no, that's too much. I'm just going to copy paste. Oh. Control C, Control V, WorldCat.org. Uh, no, this is a newspaper archive, and all they have is tags. Are we supposed to RSVP to that block party? Maybe. Okay. Um. Yeah, this is all just newspaper clippings, and it just. Oh! 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 Beatty and Plot's celebrated golden tongue parlor organ is acknowledged by professors of music and celebrated organists to be the leading parlor organ now in use. Well, that's not fun. Yeah, I kind of figured it it's was. It's a piano. Yeah, it's a, or like a pipe organ. Why are they selling a piano in the patent medicine section next to magnetic soap? Yeah, that part's a little weird. It's pretty weird. Okay. <sighs> Ruined it. <laughs> Thanks, Google. You Thanks, ruin Google. Everything. You ruined it with context and truth. Yeah. Um, and then on the next page, we have a fun and totally not boring article about cypress timber. Um, here's an article that I had to copy paste. It says, young man, don't waste your spare change in frivolous amusements. Young it's- man. Yeah, thank you. 
young man. Yeah. Don't waste your spare change in frivolous. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not going to do that. It. I'm not going to do that. But save it up and buy your mother or sister a new, quote, domestic. <laughs> Capital D. If you have no mother or sister, find some good-natured fellow that has. <laughs> and he and the machine together may help you to a comfortable place in the family if you shine up to the sister right. What? That's it. You're just buying a machine called the domestic? Uh-huh. It's got to be a laundry machine or something. There's no context. Right. It's got to be some type of a machine that now we have a name for, like a wa- like clothes washing machine. Mm-hmm. But because they were coming up with the concept still, they didn't call it that yet. Yeah. I don't think it's a vacuum because I don't think those existed yet. But see, these things normally say where to buy it. This doesn't. This doesn't say where to buy it doesn't say how much it is well they screwed up on their ad when they wrote it obviously it's pretty good yeah it is thank you that's pretty good Um, as far as like ad advertising fumbles go yeah it's very good okay this is a um a story written by josh billings called the mule the mule is the most unhealthy animal in the world (laughs) unhealthy to have around he is continually possessed of a yearning desire to stretch himself especially his hind legs he is also possessed of great healing power no man ever seen sees a mule kick him the man is usually seized with obs- oh that kind of healing yeah the man is usually usually seized with obscure visions just at that juncture we have seen a man get up after a mule had kicked him very rarely though and swear with both hands uplifted that he didn't believe the animal had stirred a peg he looked so immovable and unconcerned a mule is a very quote, quick animal, (laughs) great quantities of this substance lie hidden beneath his toe, what is that word? Toe cocks. Okay. Okay. As a great explorer, the mule is equal to Stanley. I don't know who Stanley is. When he goes exploring for a man, he always finds him. The safest place to stand by a mule does not exist. (laughs) The mule is very is a very headstrong beast. He is likewise exceedingly heel strong. It sounds like somebody who fancies themselves a creative literature major like got kicked by a mule. I believe that Josh Billings did indeed get kicked by a mule and then wrote this. Yeah. Out of anger. He's vague tweeting the mule. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's it for the finished report. And we're going to end it the way we always end it, with our Damien the Pigeon update. Yay. All right. Wolfie says Damien has a new puzzle toy. What? Puzzle toys designed for parrots aren't usually good for pigeons because they expect the bird to manipulate objects with their beaks, and pigeons have soft, gentle beaks that don't grab well. Instead, we finally managed to track down a lightweight and appropriately sized cat toy that dispenses treats when rolled around on the floor. He's a clever boy, so I'm sure he'll have it figured out soon. That is so sweet. I love it. I love it. We tried to get one of those Kong toys for Tucker and like the couple times that I tried to give it to him and it has food inside of it. He buried it. Yeah. (laughs) 
he in smelled the couch. It, he smelled that it had food and said, oh, I have to save this for later and bury it. <laughs> I can't figure this out. Maybe I'll get it later, which that's fair. <laughs> I can relate, Tucker. Oh. So, Ben, do you have any good news? Oh, I felt like I had something to say and now I lost it. Come back to me. Okay, my good news... Order order yours first. My good news is back to my dog, because he has figured out how his other toys work. Speaking of Damien and Damien's toys. Oh, yeah. I bought Tucker a bunch of toys before we brought him home, and the only toy he ever played with was his squeaky chicken toy we got from Target. But the other day, I sat on the floor with him and decided to try and see if he'll play with his rope toys, and he did. He finally figured out that they aren't scary monsters. They are toys for him to play with. And it was so sweet. Well, it's because they don't squeak. They don't squeak. He likes things that make noise. Yeah, and that are soft. Yes. So these things that are hard don't make noise and are just literally like giant ropes. Yeah. He never cared about them before. But, like, he wanted to play so badly that when I dangled something in front of his face, he was like, oh, we're going to play with this. And he did it. Yeah. He's so good. He figured out he has lots of toys, actually, not just two. Yeah, he's finally started being a dog. Yeah, he's done a lot of improvement in that regard lately. He started, like, punching me in the leg with his face when he wants to play. Yeah. And I'm not responding fast enough for him, which is instantly. So, yeah. It's it's a little annoying, but you know what? It's fine. I love him. (laughs) He's good. He's a good dog. Ben? Yep. Yep. That's it. We took him to the farmer's market, and he was very good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So I'm going to thank Onslaught 6 for making our theme song. Go to Bandcamp, search Reapers, check out their stuff. It's very good. Uh, Thank you to everybody who leaves a review on iTunes. You're wonderful. Uh, It helps us get noticed by other people in the iTunes Uh, search algorithms thank you for everybody who leaves comments and ratings and everything on soundcloud or wherever you listen to your podcast i really appreciate it you guys are awesome and until next time i'm sarah i'm ben and this has been the good news don't Don't read read the the comments. comments